spidey senses tingling. He's the host with the young Dusty Rhodes hair, but tells you it's just sweat. He's slim. This is the Paper Keg Podcast, episode 232. Welcome to the show. Paperkeg.com 3 BFFs get together to talk about one single comic book. Storyline, collection, you name it. 400 pages of a book. 400 pages. Number one request. Peter David's X Factor, book one. And then we'll read your letters live to close out the show. Peter David's X Factor, Madrox miniseries, and Volume One and Volume Two. This episode, you heard it here first. We have uh, three living hosts of Paper Keg. You know, we've been together since the beginning of this show. And you can sense the magic that's been formed over 200 miscellaneous episodes. It's obvious. Uh, let's go and introduce the hosts. There's a lot of tension. Can I just get right to the chase? Cut the music. <laughs> Cut the music. <laughs> you know, the, the, the tension is palpable before we record this episode. You know, we're in the private G-chats. Myself, Dale underscore A, executive producer, VP of merch. He's in the chats. Welcome to the show. President of the Patreon. You know, it's uh, great to be here. Thank you for having me, as always. You know, new year, new beginnings. But it's not technically the new year yet, but when you listen to this, it will be the new year. So, you know, maybe we could have taken two weeks off. I don't know. I'm like... Maybe, maybe. But maybe. maybe. But... There's going to be new content for the folks out there come Jan 1, okay? He's going into Dale, you know, before we get into the tension, he's going into full coddle mode. You saw he flipped the switch. <laughs> Cod, Dale underscore a coddler, VP of. Next host, before we get into the tension. Much like Ooh. the, uh, Jonesy. much like my diesel VW in the parking lot of a, of a Red Robin, my coddle meter, uh, my coddle car is constantly running. Always running. I always leave it running in case I need a quick coddle getaway. And did did you do that on purpose? Did you leave your car running on purpose, or were you just so caught up in the ownership of two children by yourself I mean, at a Red Robin? Honest to goodness, it was just I pulled into the Red Robin. I uh, for the for the fourth time that day, I had to resock and reshoe Reed's feet. And. Uh, you know, I, only the first time did I forcibly pull over on the side of the road, yank his shoes off, and throw them in the back of my station wagon because he kept, uh, you know, putting his shoes on the back of my seat with his muddy, wet sneakers, and I asked him not to, and he flat out told me no. Pull over, throw four ways on, because safety first, yank his shoes off, and throw them in the back of my car. Now, 
Let me, safety, let me safety first. Safety first. Uh, safety you're first. already driving a VW Volkswagen, so the people behind you are already dead. So it doesn't matter if you put those four ways on. Right. And it's like yeah, it's it's like the highways of Atlanta, Georgia, <laughs> and uh, I'm the only one with a moving with a moving car. <clears throat> so yeah, uh, you know, I was so frazzled, and we're wa- I'm walking into the Red Robin, and, and lo and behold, like my car key battery. I'm not like I have my keys with me. It, it, there's no like I'm 50 feet away from the car. Maybe there's no meter that shuts the car off when the keys are removed. I get back to the car and I was I was wondering why I, the horn didn't beep. I'm like maybe it's the car key battery gone on me already. Probably because I'm getting just flipped over and done dry by Volkswagen. <laughs> and uh, it's not it's not beeping. So I'm like okay I don't know. And you know I'm in the middle of a noisy mall parking lot, so I don't hear my car running like an idiot. I have my meal, my ha- my hour and a half long meal with my children. I go back out, car's still running, warm, waiting for me. You know, I mean, the whole parking lot, people in the parking lot, dead. Seagulls, French fries hanging out of their mouth, dead. But it was worth it that your cool butt cheeks hit that warm leather seat. Am I right? I mean, Certainly, it was a little yeah. worth it. I mean, it was so warm in there that Reed just had the impetus to just tear his shoes and his socks right back off again. So, Final living host, Jonesy loves beer. Now, before uh, we get welcome. into the tension, let me get my devil advocate underscore A. Let me get his back. When you have two children, like, sometimes that S goes by the wayside. Am I right, Dale? I mean, to even get yeah. them in that restaurant without them hitting each other, or maybe your older son is trying to stick a magnet in your younger son's mouth just because. <laughs> right. You know, just it's because. worth it. Like, I could have my fuel, like, I'm pretty sure my Suburban could fart loud enough to destroy the bacteria barrier that's about 25,000 feet. Like, <laughs> it's a terrible vehicle. But I will let it run for 12 hours if that meant even for just a minute I could get like an hour of sleep during the day. So, <laughs> right. listen, I feel your pain and I support you 100%, like 10,000%. I think we're you. getting almost kind of backpedal coddling right now in anticipation of talking about the tension between the two of you. I Boy, don't really you know, feel the like they're inverse proportional. Is your, wife, is your wife home tonight? No. Is that a, is that a factor? <laughs> I'm just trying to gauge, you know, your conversational tone. You know, your wife sometimes goes to visit coal country. She can't stand you. She needs to leave town. She's cra- she's got a pickaxe. She's cracking some coal right now. She's still uh, loving me from I, afar. Before we before we get into it, this is obviously a paper game. We're talking about X Factor. Obviously, <laughs> book one, bottom of the hour, probably around the top corner of the hour. Book one, Peter David. One of the most hotly requested books we've ever had in the history of this show. Catcher, this is for you, babe. Um, I will say that the people that, that drive to like Wawa's or 7-Eleven and leaves their, their car running, you disgust me. I hope someone steals your car. You're <laughs> filth. Why do you leave your car running? You know? It's true. The yeah. There's even Are the, you the saving sign. gas? There's even signs now at the Wawa's. No idling. I, yeah, I, if I see you do that, I'm probably going to put your car in neutral and push your car. Into, you know, the bushes. Mm-hmm. Thank God okay. you weren't at the uh, Red Robin parking lot and mistake my car for some poor schlubs. I mean, if I saw a Volkswagen, um, you know, a.k.a. SS vehicle. Death proof. For the Third Reich, running, oh spewing its its fumes out into our ecosystem. 
I'd probably do a lot worse than just push into the bushes, you know? Yeah. Put a potato in its tailpipe. That's probably what I'd do. Should we move into X Factor by Peter David? Uh, you know, maybe we have some new listeners that are struggling to stay on topic here. <laughs> if they're at even anywhere near still listening. I mean, they've, they've swiped left and deleted. I mean, I might edit out maybe five minutes worth of the last 11. So, d- depending on where you're, where you're listening at this time stamp of the actual podcast, we're at a 12 minute mark. See how that matches up to where you actually right. are now. Yeah. Uh, Peter David's X Factor, several groups of people recommended this book to us. Yeah. Said it was one of their favorite books of all time. People were sh- sending us hardcovers of X Factor. You know, they're, they're sprawled out with their beer of choice, ready to reread. And uh, so we decided to do it. We're going to do the first half this episode. We're going to do the second half next episode. The reading order is very confusing. You have to read the Madrox miniseries and then the first two trades of X Factor. Jonesy, what is what what is this book, please? We try to set a grand stage for you, Jamie Madrox, who I understood before this reading uh, was just a throwaway character, the multiple man. You know, if you flicked him with your finger, he would be two Jamie Madroxes. So Peter David really takes this concept to the next level to which I'm going to say a bold statement. Think about that SC storyline where Nightcrawler was part of those demons that inhabited the earth long ago. Remember that crappy storyline? Imagine that storyline was made good and you would have the Mad Rock storyline. And essentially... Uh, multiple man uh, after X Factor is long disbanded, he decides to gather up the former members of X Factor to create um, X Factor investigations for lack of a better term. You know, it doesn't really come about the first issue. And he gives these characters who were once government specialists this second lease on life. And he investigates all the problems with Mutant Town, which much like Chinatown and these other uh, New York boroughs, Koreatown, like all these racist towns, there's a Mutant Town in New York. And these are their, the hope for the hopeless are the X Factor in New York. And they're also kind of pit against... um, this other investigation services called Singularity Investigations. And the book primarily is about their run-ins with Singularity and also the B-plot, which is super interesting to a reader who has never really cared about Multiple Man. Uh, but how far can Mad Rox's powers go? You know, what does that mean? What if you had a million choices to make and you could choose all of them? I mean, you could be a Buddhist monk. You could be a Bruce Lee martial artist. You could be curing cancer all at the same time because you have the ability to send these people out. And do those powers or knowledge have any leverage over your modern life? It's very existential. At the same time, it's also very action-packed. And the first half of the volume answers the questions, who is Jamie Madrox really? 
And what is the impact of X Factor on the world of House of M and Civil War? X Factor. Which I had forgotten they called the fallout of House of M. which Decimation. Yeah, they called it Decimation, which mm-hmm. I remember that branding, but I couldn't remember... I guess I never read any of the follow-up stuff with like what happened to Quicksilver afterward or... Can we just acknowledge that was probably my best synopsis ever? I mean, can we just acknowledge that fact? It, I will acknowledge it. it. It was definitely your best for the amount of reading we we did compared to your synopsis. It was pretty on point. Hmm. 400 pages. I mean, the, the problem with um, reading so much and us doing the same amount of, you know, same length of show... As things get you know lost, so we're, hopefully we we try to get it all in. You know, mm-hmm. I feel bad for the listener who has like a favorite issue, yeah, or panel of this, and we literally just read like four hundred pages. So if we did not hit your favorite page, it's not because we don't love you as an individual or a listener. So Catcher, I think I'm sorry. So definitely let's. I think we could definitely separate it from the Madrox Mini and then X Factor at, at the very least. Uh, the Madrox Mini is before X Factor is reformed. I guess Madrox uh, was a Marvel Knights mini series that that probably like uh, maybe sh- maybe tested the waters to see if a new X Factor was viable or that was the plan all along. But Jamie Madrox starts up a new you know investigation company in Mutant Town called Triple X Investigations. I don't quite understand. Yeah, it has the same logo as the movie Triple X. I'm sure it's not related, but it's very weird and it does sound... You're the new Triple X. <laughs> that was my yeah. Sam Jackson. <laughs> and uh, he is investigating... So that's where he finds out... You know, that's where... So let me just stop there. Okay, anything I know from X Factor, I know from the back of the 1992 Joe Jusco illustrated Marvel Masterpieces, my number one favorite Marvel card set of all time. And uh, since then, I haven't given any thought to these X Factor clowns. And uh, so here we find the multiple man who can uh, get flicked and create multiples himself I think it's a pretty cool thing that he just sends these things, these duplicates out for six, 12 months at a time to gain knowledge, and then he brings them back. He ends up in Chicago investigating why somebody would want to murder one of his duplicates, and comes to find out it's a the wife of a mob boss who is essentially an alien who is, who is using her husband's information about other mob bosses to take them out so eventually she can just lead the Chicago Mafia. All the while, you meet some of the ancillary X-Factor team members in through various means, mostly Strong Guy, which, like, honestly, I just can't even bear to look at because he's such a goofy-looking character in all honesty. And Wolfsbane. Wolfsbane. Wolf. Uh, they're the two, they're the three main characters, and the uh, I I gotta tell you, I was I was pretty intrigued by it because it had the ability to kind of 
be it was it's only an X book in name only, really. Like they're mutants, but that's where it kind of stops. Like it's not a at least in the miniseries, it's not really about mutants and mutant kind, which you're very used to in X books. It's the that kind of struggle. And the Madrox miniseries I liked just because it kind of set the stage for the greater good, you know, for the greater world that we're going to be dipping our toes into into the into X Factor main story. But I also kind of loved uh, and more Mad Rocks than X Factor that it was Marvel Knights, so it was set on the ground level. So while House of M was going on, and they get into us more in X Factor proper when Cyclops pays a visit. But it was Cyclops in like a cheap suit. Like this was based in New York. There was no alien ships. There was no X Factor as this government apparatus. Like this was in your face about relationships and about how those were changed or affected by world events. And, you know, not even more so as evident as when they all take a side on. Uh, the Civil War, like whether you're going to register or not. And there's like three or four pages where Mad Rocks holds this like impromptu um, press conference where he he's like, F, you know, registration, we're against it, we're X Factor, and nobody cares. I mean, that's just the perfect, in my mind, Marvel Knights moment of this whole book. Like, the, nothing about it was cosmic, and none really, besides personally, were the stakes that grave. How about the uh, the mind-reading newspaper reporter that looked exactly like Steve Buscemi? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. That was, that was weird. There was a couple of characters that looked a little too photorealistic yeah, the to certain ch- actors. The, uh, the movie superstar Jack Vaughn, I forget who he looked like, but he looked like somebody, a spitting image. Of somebody mm-hmm. out there in the world, yeah. Um, I didn't. I honest, honestly, this this might break some hearts out there. I know Ooh, a lot of our dear friends. Hold on, hold on. Before you say this, catcher, brew yourself some chamomile tea. Maybe dirt. Get a flannel flannel blanket. Just curl into a ball and just prepare yourself for what, for what he's about to say. I. Didn't like it oh. at all. I didn't oh, like X Factor at all. Mm-hmm. I tried my best. I read the the Madrox miniseries. You know, I, you come in and you're kind of, you know, for he's he's like a C list character. So you're going to get a Marvel Knights series. Okay, you know, Marvel Knights has done some really cool things with C list characters. Daredevil, you know, Daredevil. The game changed with him in Marvel Knights. So I was like, okay. It still felt it felt like they tried to do a gritty version for this character, but I don't I don't think they 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 went next level like gritty or down to earth. I don't know if Peter David was the right guy for this. And this is obviously I'm the one percent that would make this opinion known. Mm-hmm. I feel like because everyone loves this. I feel like for me as a reader that's used to superhero books with like the fun, jokey corny one-liners it like it's it was still in this book and i wanted that to leave like i wanted a a more dark like gotham central you know Mm -hmm. story with like a self 
a de- uh, deprecating character. He was. It just didn't work for me. If I may, real quick, I'm not. I'm not get on. I'm not board the poo poo train. But if I did have one criticism from beginning to end, and this is totally unfair of me to say, but it is, and it's wrong. And Peter David, I, I apologize because it's. But it's the only comparison on my heart that I could make is. And it's going to sound brutal, but it's like stop trying to be Brian Michael Bendis with your banter. Yeah. yeah. But I I yeah. noticed that as, as a sticking point for me. But I I let it roll off my back. But that's that's the vibe I got. Like it was total Bendis, and Peter David might have been doing it long before Brian Bendis. Maybe he started it. Maybe he was yeah. the originator. Yeah, exactly. But for me, and, and it was Brian Bendis, and you you know you can't do that. And and Dale, you know, I'll take this on my shoulder. I'll be the Dark Knight at the end of the Dark Knight film, riding into the into the dark, like staggering out. <clears throat> I'll be the villain in this episode if need yeah, be. Yeah, to take it. Yeah, I'll I'll take it on my shoulders. Um, and and I think that carried for. This is just my opinion. That carried through in the in the the other two volumes. And I remember distinctly reading the first issue of volume one where Richter didn't have his powers and he wanted to kill himself. That's a great issue. I remember that. Yeah. But that kind of, like, I didn't care about Madrox at all. I felt like he was a dummy. He didn't have any kind of talent. Uh, and what and about maybe the, he did. What about the weirdness of him, like, vocally exploring his sexuality, but it, there was never any. That was like, that was like way kind of, it just felt like too soon to like, just throw something like that out there. Multiple like, times. Multiple it was times. like I'm totally like into that exploration, but not like panel one of like page one. It was like throwing, hey, like hey, here you go, let's make a, a joke that he's potentially gay with one of his dupes. Or I was like, well, all right, let, yeah, I'm cool with that, but not like you're throwing the kitchen sink at me on like the first couple pages of the book. Like let's slow down a little bit. And is that and is was he laying groundwork for 200 episodes down the road? Because nothing, they never touched on it again after that Marvel Knights series. Maybe. But. I mean, and then jumping way further down in like the second to last issue, he wakes up from a bender. There was like a little, there was like a little too much like beer, like alcoholism kind of one panel gags. Like I need a drink. uh, Like I, uh, how much did I drink last night? And like, they felt like, and this is extremely harsh, but it felt like G rated versions of stuff that happened in Gotham Central. Like a PG mm. version mm. of like someone who's an actual alcoholic oh, and how it affects the Jessica character. Jones. Yeah. And it, God, it really just didn't resonate with me at all. God, I like hate it this felt, book, right, guys? It, it, felt, it felt too easy. Uh, and I don't know how, to, how better to articulate that. Mm-hmm. And some of the... And you, you hit it right on the point with the Bendis stuff. It just felt a little too still PG superhero-y for, for what I was expecting. Like I was expecting a, a, a really cool, dark detective team. And Madrox, who had, with a great idea, he sent his dupes out to learn everything. Like he could send his dupe out to like Germany or, you know, to like the finest, you know, scientists in Russia and just study with them. And then he'll absorb them and learn, and learn that. But you you didn't really get a lot of that in the first three trades that we read. Like mm-hmm. it barely helped them. I feel like it was like really small stuff, like picking a lock. Like oh yeah, one one of my dupes is like a great you know <laughs> watch thief. And I'm like, well come on, let's use some really cool stuff where like one of your dupes comes back 
and really like saves the day with some knowledge. I felt like I didn't get any of that. I I I see what you're saying, yeah. And but the like I think of the team aspect, he definitely focused more on the team as a whole and Madrox definitely fell into a just a bit player and not like a leader of any X factor. He wasn't the boss of an investigation firm at that point. He was just another member of this people who were living in this halfway house with each other. Yeah, and I, and I and I'm fine with him being the leader but being a bad leader. And because if he's like a really um if he's a character that I can learn to care about or feel bad for or maybe he mm-hmm. is dealing with like gripping alcoholism or maybe he's just like he can't sustain dealing with all these dupes coming back to him or whatever but i didn't have like a moment mm-hmm. where i was like man this this is a really cool character i really care about what happens to him i, I couldn't you know give two craps to be honest so I, the scene where him absorbing a dupe would have meant life and death but he refuses that was cool because it will cause him i mean that didn't even tickle you that was like a little bit? that was that was like issue two of his miniseries and then it was n- nothing like that ever really happened again, in okay. in my opinion. Okay, I but I don't want this to become. Listen, I don't. Matt I don't even want to join in to this conversation for the. Like I feel like there's like red dots on my chest from like Karate Chop and uh, Catcher who are going <laughs> That's to not like what assassinate this show is about, Jonesy. This show isn't about us catering to a book that right. you know other people love. Well, I feel like. Word, word. Can, that's not what this show. Can I chime in? And I'm not I mean, pandering. It, it's a possibility it could turn into like a total revenant situation on and I'm some sort of future paper keg retreat. May not come home from. <laughs> but other than that, cold concrete. Q three sixteen. We wake up in a misery scenario. We're tied down right. to a bed. Our legs are broken. Karate right. <laughs> chop is broken. Your knees with a sledgehammer. Right. I'm Thor Birch. You're Kira Knightley. We're in the hole, and we're uh, we're not coming out until. They see fit, basically. I'll step. I'll step back. I've said my piece for the time being. Why don't you two or or Dale? What, what's what's your overall opinion of the story? Um, uh, so far, so far, this is very early. It's the first three trades. So the first three trades could, out of you two could have done. Issues. Hated it from a living color. I feel like you both could have done that. I, I mean, it's weird because I, I loved it. I, I see all the criticisms. I mean, you saw me joining in. Like Slim started like Dog kicking some, on. like jumped some guy in the street, and I just totally joined in because I knew I could win the fight, and started <laughs> kicking him with him. But Get your heels what, out. But here's what I loved about the X Factor that I read. Like, and I and I got into it in the beginning with Jonesy, especially coming hot off the heels of reading House of M with Layla Miller showing up. The I just liked how it was this X book without they were like high functioning street level characters who only cared about Mutant Town, which I like. If you if you want if you need to like confine your characters to a certain neighborhood or something to sort of um you know, have the setting and make compelling stories. That's I was I love that. I love that they had a purpose and they were serving the uh you know, serving a higher purpose in Mutant Town, which was kind of funny because most of the 
quote-unquote investigation work they were doing for the uh, decimation was done off panel and like only brought up in conversation like we've been looking into this decimation thing every day and talking to people but i like i really really liked how this was like flagship book for house of m and the decimation like post stuff like they couldn't find out but they need like they needed to find out because these these like regular schmoes in new york mutant town needed answers and i like how i i just like overall how peter david was able to write this like decompressed story for so far 12 17 issues and he's like he's writing his own corner of this world that if you if you if you like pull back from like you know a C130 plane if you're high up you can see the big picture but if you zoom in on mutant town it's just like x factor doing their thing to figure it out from where they stand in the grand scheme of things and i like how this was they they were affected most from house of m and i like that world building that peter david was able to give them like they didn't do a whole lot of investigating sure they had like two cases over the course of they had two cases issues, that wasn't about the uh, that wasn't about the that was i guess that wasn't about the book in general but I, I mean, I just liked their purpose. And I liked that Peter David was able to write the book for so long. Just like, I, I, I really liked, I just liked it. Because normally, <laughs> like, this is a slow burn book that doesn't get, it wouldn't get a lot of love. You know what I mean? I'm sure. And I noticed by, like, issue 9 or 10, they started, like, shaking it up a bit with, like, the recap pages and stuff like that. Just to kind of remind people. Did you catch all the uh, pages where Peter David was like, I'm potty training my daughter. This is like the worst two years of my life. You guys yeah, catch that yeah. when you read it? Yeah, that was interesting. I loved it. And the, I think the Civil War tie-in issues were my favorite of the issues. Like, they were really good that they were ab- they were able to like show their position and there was tension other than like the, the Quicksilver stuff. I don't really, I didn't really care about, but I like how they had a side and they were kind of trying to stick to it. The, I don't really get like how Paulie Walnuts Maximoff is like now the protector of Richter. And if anybody messes that with Richter, one was like, like what? honestly, it was some of the, that was one of the dumbest se- scenes of the entire book. He's a soprano. Quicksilver, now? What is what is Quicksilver gain by interrupting them and saying he's under my protection and you mess with me? What does that even mean? I feel like that is on the X Factor team. Yeah. What does that statement mean? I feel like that panel alone was supposed to like segue into a, a tie-in of a tie-in or something. Like, are we supposed to know more about this uh, gangster Quicksilver, the gangster? I mean, I honestly that threw me for a loop. I didn't understand what was going on. But in general, the Quicksilver stuff was kind of confusing to me. Like, Quicksilver now has control over the Terrigen Mists, 
which uh, nowadays create Miss Marvel. Um, and he can touch people and bring their powers back potentially using this mist. I, I'm guessing that was in the Son of M miniseries that came out like right before this. Cause that ain't like, I don't know if that wasn't just like well explained, but not reading that miniseries, that stuff came out of left field for me. Mm-hmm. And he's like setting up shop in a hospital. He like has an office in a hospital. Did you catch that? That's yeah, like where his like, office was. He has he was a medical Richter. office, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't get I'm going to some screenshotted panels here that I, I okay. really enjoyed. Really enjoyed them. Jensen, what were your top five moments of this book? <sighs> Listen, I feel two ways. One, that I'm probably pandering, which people are going to hate. And two, I feel in the corner that I loved every minute of this book. Hmm. Listen, I, I, I Jonesy, I'm right there with you, man. Probably because I didn't know. I, I mean, I didn't know who any of these characters were, and be, probably because of that, I enjoyed this book so much. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I went into a mindset of you reading this book of, all right, I have four hundred pages to read. I'm gonna like really just go through as fast as I can and issue one it stops me in my tracks and forces me to pay attention and that's a hard sell that's really hard especially if like for someone like me who is a as a uh I think we consider all three of us a heavy reader and and readers who can often pan things if they're not catchy and for someone who's like me who goes into it not really willing to be drawn in, to be drawn in immediately on the first issue is a real credit to Peter David as a writer. I don't know X Factor. I I, I apologize. I don't. But I Except felt like each character, <laughs> slim, each character introduction and each each issue and each facet of Multiple Man was me holding hands with the writer and finding it out for the first time. And it was fantastic. It really was. I thought Madrox was a very compelling protagonist, especially as one who couldn't even remotely get his life together, but was somehow committed to helping the mutant community. And I thought the aspect of this book that was even though I can't do right for myself, I want to do right for my people, was spot on. Uh, and I thought some of the supporting characters were weak. I, I thought Banshee's daughter and uh, Guido and uh, Monet were at best window dressings. But she, even if is, you take that away, the core of Madrox discovering himself and what his mission should be was very compelling. Jonesy, I think you you pretty much summed up how I felt too. I think you nailed it why I love this book as well. Now, aside, like you can't get into the fact that even though he took this awesome stand and was figuring out himself, like the side effects of that were kind of wonky, like him sleeping with the rest of his team with dupes of his. Yeah, I mean, to- I mean be- that was total comedic relief. I think but we've also seen 
too many times in the Marvel U that there's some secret society that has been around forever and controls. I mean, come on. How many times are we going to get the Hellfire Club? How many times are we going to get the Externals? How many times are we going to get the Illuminati? Now we have Singularity. So all of it is really stacked in this deck that nobody wants to play in. Like, mm-hmm. no one really cares that there's Immortals out there. No one really cares that there's Apocalypses out there. But if you cut through the fat of this book, the journey of Mad Rocks, it's almost like, how, how do we say this the right way? Maybe I'll even throw a Highlander reference at you. Living forever sucks, right? Because you, you never have an end. Well, being a multiple man has to absolutely suck because what compels you in life when you can have everything at your fingertips? And I think very rarely do we get a glimpse of a book that tackles that issue, not only tackles that issue, but does it the right way. Mm-hmm. And And this is a rarity of a book that comes out. And I think because of that, I I really, I thought much about this book was perfect in tone, in storytelling, maybe not in world building, maybe not in details, but I think the bravery of telling the story was something to be respected. And that's what, like, and that's what I want to say. Like, I I appreciated the fact that that he could do it. Like, he had the ability to tell his corner of the greater world. You and you just said it there. Like, what about that um, during the Civil War tie-ins when he's like, esco- when he has that hat on and he's escorting that member of the old New Warriors in that down that alley. And he like comes out with like seventy five copies of himself to fight to like give this guy a fighting chance. That was one of the coolest uh, sequences in the book because like Madrox is like you're finding out as quickly as he is like where he needs to stand on this issue. And it was some of the it was some of the cool moments that Madrox got to have, like the. The execution of some of the other stuff wasn't great, greatly written, but overall, like I just like the the purpose of this book because I think it's so cool that it's just an X book without any of the typical X Men stuff, which I love. But I think I love this book because it was still an X book without any of that stuff. And I also loved about how much the X-Men are not respected by their community. I mean, you got to think, you know, X-Town or Mutant Town is decimated. And, of course, the most five high-profile mutants in the world still have their powers, right? Mm -hmm. And to the local Joe who can maybe, I don't know, extend his fingers five inches and that's his mutant power, and now he's lost it, all he sees is the same five freaking famous mutants still slashing with his claws and still blasting on his eyes. He's like, all right, so what has changed about my life except for for that? Yeah, which was the uh, issue where the doctor captured Siren and held her in that theater. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, he was, Peter Dave was able to, uh, to co- convey that tone of the entirety of Mutant Town through that one crazy doctor because at least t- 
to these mutants, they may have been like picked on and driven down by the rest of the world, but at least like they they've come to live with themselves for so long that at least in their eyes they thought themselves unique. And when that was taken away from them, like they're just in this crummy corner of New York who and has nothing. So at least they have this representation that is X Factor that have a building down the street from them because the X-Men are so unreachable and not like a representative of who they are as just people in the street that the the that's what made x factor as a book so cool because of that tone that never kind of changed it never shifted from this like globally global strike x team that's fighting they're just fighting for their corner that piece of the pie you know what i mean i was gonna uh come back to that issue where she gets kidnapped i like the the idea of that issue i feel like was good she gets knocked out and kind of taken in by this creepo doctor uh dude and she's like there's a scene where she kind of loses it like she she cracks under the pressure and then she references it like the next issue where she's recovering but then it's never really brought up again and and I I have a feeling that everyone's going to say that, and it's probably true, but mm-hmm. that the, this run is the is the long simmering burn, and maybe like thirty issues from now it's referenced. But as a as reading the first like two trades of the of the series proper, it was weird that it's not brought up again, or you know not yet. And I don't know, like some of that stuff just like I I wonder like why don't they talk about this again or why didn't they ever come back to this mm-hmm. and I and I'm sure it, it's talked about maybe in the next volume or the volume after that but it's weird that it didn't happen you know kind of sooner now, yeah it is weird because I just I mean I think it's cool that they were able to just give Peter David this like this book I don't know how well it ever did but they just let him write it for a long time you know what I mean I it's like I, I, it's I, like Claremont's X-Men or whatever I think his X Factor series always were not like spectacular sales wise. I think they always hovered because it always had this loyal fan base that always bought it. And then over several years, it started to dwindle. But how old is Layla Miller? Well, 40. She must be in the beginning of the series, she's 12. By the end, Madrox is asking her if he had sex with her the night previous night. So I mean, I would love to know. I, I mean, love to know. awful scene in this book. Why would he even ask her? Like that was just so. Well, is I she mean, seventeen at that point? But it she's, doesn't matter because it's not even like it's, it's six months later from where maybe if it's if, like a month yeah, later, if it's like a week, two weeks later. Because she appears in the X Factor building as just some kind of squirrely little girl. Who knows things, and that's the running joke, which kind of got tired until the end because we're reading it in one sitting. But I was really kind of like irritated that nobody cared more about this character and why they just let her hang out. Like it's kind of funny. Even that the issue letting... when they they reveal her backstory is sad because they don't even really feel compelled to break her out of the orphanage. Yeah, she gets she gets taken back into this orphanage. After she's kind of just been in the, in the background protecting them because she kind of sees the future, and no one thinks to to confront her, or ask like, "Why are you hanging around us, you weirdo?" And she's taken back to this orphanage, and she gets beat up, and they like try to like find out where her real parents are, and they're like, "Well, you can't take her. You're not her guardian." And they're like, "Okay," and they're they're like walking out, 
And then the, the chick behind the counter was like, well, if she tries to escape, I guess there's nothing really I could do. And then they that, were like, okay. That issue felt like the biggest waste of time. <laughs> I mean, if the same confrontational orphanage leader is like going to give Madrox like problems because he's not the parental guardian, but she's just going to let the girl, this girl who's, I guess maybe because it turns out she's 18 years old anyway, because Madrox is asking if he bedded her the night before. Like it's just lazy. You wasted, you wasted 12 to 15 pages because she goes, she gets beat up. And they just let her leave anyway because this orphanage lady loses the paperwork. Like, what? That was that was lazy storytelling. Like, make it more mysterious for this Layla Mill character who, I, I mean, I loved, I didn't mind the uh, jokes about how she knows things and stuff. The, uh, the Monet chick, like, saying she's weird and she hates her, got old. But I like that she had this weird, like, higher purpose to be there like their guardian angel of some kind mm-hmm. and especially like i said coming uh, coming so soon after house of m it was cool to see her have this huge role but it it was definitely like she was even in house of m i thought she was 13 years old yeah i mean really inappropriate like I, if weird. i was the editor was so i would have i would have been like let's we're deleting that from the script i got totally uh, skeeved out peter david peter david what are you doing Ooh, i agree I mean, just like I can't remember if that was like second to last issue or last issue where where he his dupe has sex with both of them because I feel like he only found one dupe. And I mean, up until that point, there's I don't recall an attraction between M and Madrox or anybody on the team, to be honest. Right. And I know that there's some kind of siren Madrox history. I think at some point, even Peter David references it. But even so. If you've only read this run, there's no kind of like attraction building to my eyes. Yeah, it was close. it was Madrox making a speech about their side on the Civil War. They don't even like crack open a beer as a celebration after the the speech. It just cuts to the next morning and he bedded two women and he references, team. he's like, how much did I drink last night? Yeah, he probably did strong guy because obviously he has gay tendencies that he's, he was probably well, What did the, he uh, say to Steve Buscemi? He said Steve Buscemi had like uh He's probably catching the strong guy's something. pitching. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And it, was a, it was a very, it was a very interesting line what he said to Steve Buscemi at issue one or two. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, I can't remember, it was like sexy lips or something, something really like you know, at yeah. a place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that scene I didn't, I didn't really get, I, there's just maybe, you know, maybe the mutant speech was enough to just make these women, you know, throw their panties across the room for I, Madrox. I, I guess, guess. So, cause this Monet St. Croix, like Paris Hilton type, she never gave vibes that she would give anybody on this team a time of day. Cause they all stank. Yeah. Maybe Richter, maybe, maybe Richter. Because he saw her Richter naked was the, Richter was the F-boy of this entire series, if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Well, I mean, someday. he's under Quicksilver's protection now, right. and you better remember that, Jonesy. Right. He better have his faux hawk done up the right way, is all I'm saying. <laughs> the, um, if I can be honest, too, I, I felt like the art changes really were distracting. Uh, I, I obviously would have loved for Ryan so to be So you haven't been honest 
till this point. I've been I've been covering up most of the time. It would have been great if Ryan Sook was the main artist. Yeah, it would have. Um, but there were some shifts. I think he left shortly after, maybe like issue three. He was done. He only done two and a half issues at that point. Yeah, he didn't even finish they, a run, which kind of stunk. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm I I I, I didn't like what I read. Um. But again, there are people that recommend this book, love it. So I'm wondering if, you know, maybe this is one of those fabled cases that we talk about where, you know, you got to keep reading. You got to keep reading. You got to keep reading past the first three three volumes. (laughs) It's funny because most people on Twitter say volume one is their absolute favorite. So I don't know. Really? So I don't know. Hmm. Wonder what they think of volume four, uh, three and four, because that's what we're doing next episode. FYI, dear listener. I loved it. Sorry. And it's weird and because I apologize, I Jonesy. It. You don't have to apologize. You need to get that in your head. Yeah. Jonesy, don't apologize. I mean, definitely, like, I loved it for everything. If I'm going to go back and listen to this because Jonesy just totally reinforced why I loved it. And Slim also kind of reinforced why the problems I had with it, too. Overall, you know, I loved it, though. But I could see both sides very clearly. The, I mean, uh, this is one of the, this is one of the rare times where I think torn we, apart. We, we're all torn apart. We yeah, we're torn up inside mm-hmm. about this. We torn gotta, right down the middle. We got to get reading because I think the next fu- the next uh, reading Nine. agenda is greater pages than this one. Oh I think it's god. like six hundred fourteen pages. I think. Oh my god! <laughs> Ooh, five days. Do from you now. think? Do you think Madrox finally finally does it and has sex with twelve year old Layla Miller? I mean, I think there's a whole volume dedicated just to that and the manhunt to bring him down as a sexual predator. I mean, no, but by the time reading that scene they showed her, I was like, maybe she's a, just a really short, nope, eighteen year old. She's like, like I tried to like talk like myself into old. it that like this is a normal statement for Madrox to make in this book. Totally missed the mark on humor. Now, by the time like next, we volume, got your letter double. No. Next volume, when Madrox finally gets to lay with her, she will be illustrated and written as a 23-year-old woman, and it would have been insinuated that she's always been 23, and you would have forgotten that she looked like a young uh, Luna, what's-her-name, from Order of the Phoenix. (laughs) That's a great, great reference. Right on the money. Thank you. There you have it. X-Factor... Peter David. Next week we continue with this historic run by Peter David. We got your letters. I'm gonna open them up. Farrington's gonna read them to you. That wasn't me singing. That's how I originally recorded it. All those hot, steamy months ago. Letters at favoritekeg.com. You should have let her read on the era. We recorded that in Jonesy's old apartment. Mm, slim, no shirt on. We're PA. both shirtless. You know. Yeah. Back in the day where I gave a crap about your family, you know, because I haven't seen your son yet. I think I heard some, some smack you're talking that, you know, my second son doesn't even rank, you know? Yeah. Slim, have you ever even seen his first son? I don't even know. I didn't even know Jonesy had a first son. Ooh, that hurts to my heart. Come to find out, you're even canceling PKX. How about, how about 
Yeah, how about the tension that we have between the three of us just trying to schedule the PK Christmas uh, gathering? Zero, zero tension. I, I mean, you know what? We have we're we're in like a, a an iMessage chat trying to schedule dates. Dale says he can't do a date. Jonesy says he can, and there's like a loose confirmation happening between the wives that we're not aware of, and we just now are confirming that it's not happening on Saturday. We thought some some parties thought it was happening Saturday. Can I, you know, can I bring it back down to earth? And uh, I'd like to make a special announcement that the godfather of my second child will be Dale underscore A. Look at that. See? Here we on the are, show. That's, that's public free. knowledge now. I can talk about it. We're standing Has Dale line. even seen the kid yet? Uh, negative. More than you, though, Slim. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was, uh, I was eager to see my new future and now... Godson, but I, I, uh, one of my sons was so sickly during the first scheduled PK Christmas that I had to cancel. We had to cancel the whole thing because uh, health factors. Other little kids were going to be involved. <laughs> but and uh, I hear yes. it was supposed to be Saturday, but Slim is like picking out Paris tickets, and uh, he actually, you know, like maybe sort of urinated on the text that said Saturdays ago. Because he's kind there of was like no Joe. The last text <laughs> in the iMessage chain was Jonesy suggesting uh, January second, which previously Dale had said he can't do, and, and that I, was the end of the conversation. I believe so I that was said the only thing I'm doing enough. that day is changing my contact lenses. That was confirmation in your book. That's confirmation <laughs> I mean, that everyone has agreed to that. I'm date. not. A, I'm not a lawyer, but that's pretty solid that you were <laughs> you were ready to go. <laughs> See, it. we'll see each other next Christmas. Good times. <laughs> I mean, we'll see each other for the next PK meetup, TBA. At the very least, I may see we may see Slim at uh, Baby Owen's, you know, baptism. I mean, I I really at this time I just hope to see you, Dale. I mean, that's all I'm, I'm banking on. Oh, absolutely! I have an obligation now. I'm 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 the Godfather. Gonna leave his car running outside of the church. <laughs> exactly. So frazzled. Capro, Pennsylvania. Look, if you need to stay here that night, you're more than welcome. Because I figure your family will come. Matt will come. You know, there's, there's probably some beautiful, ancient, aged, old timey tree in that church parking lot, and I'm gonna park right next to it, and it's just gonna, it'll, it'll end up looking like a Tim Burton tree by the time my car's done with it. <laughs> Did you get that credit yet in the mail? The uh, we're sorry that you killed the environment credit. I did. I got it in the credit, and lucky me, I have to take it to a Volkswagen dealer to get it activated. Oh, so are you kidding? Yeah, I the uh, the diesel reparations that I received was a five hundred dollar Visa gift card and a five hundred dollar gift card to, to uh, that I could spend at a Volkswagen dealership. But I had to take even the Visa gift card to a dealership to get activated. So. Lucky me, I got to roll in that place. Very futuristic. Our first letter comes to us from, you know, I'll let him introduce, reintroduce himself to the group. He says, now, fellas, I didn't drop names. I mean, it's not like that Matthew McConaughey movie I just did with that guy that recently played Dr. Doom. Yellow Jacket. (laughs) That lady playing Hellcat. And the Jessica Jones Netflix series. Oh, and that beautiful and amazing Bryce Dallas Howard. That's dropping names. 
I can't get anything made. Producers don't talk to me about what they're doing. Anywho, yes, up until this point, the Netflix series have all been purely New York. Netflix has made some stuff out here like Season 4 of Longmire and Ridiculous 6, and they seem to like it. My guess, since they are, in theory, looking out here for Iron Fist, it would be a departure from the New York tales they've been telling. Might be nice to have something in the land of entrapment. Yes, that's actually what people call New Mexico. Rather than Hell's Kitchen. New Mexico uh, use, is used quite often for road movies or shows. So uh, it might be like that. Who knows? I just want to work on it. Thanks. Very exciting. Uh, he names himself here as at names are exciting, which I don't understand, but good for him. God bless him. He works in the TV slash movie syndicate. And uh, I can talk no S as I have directly benefited from that. So God love you. Very exciting. And that was in direct reference to uh, two weeks ago, I believe he uh, name dropped some stuff and I made a comment about him uh, following following him with uh, Dustpan and Broom because of the names he's dropping. Wow. Um, and that is actually our only letter this week. So, well, you know, everybody's off for the holidays. Only We're the only ones here working at 11.25 p.m. Coddle mode enabled. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good picture. <laughs> Listen, it's been a rough night. You know, the tension, it just it's just been palpable. Has it, though? Ever since really? we got here. You're just, you're like a... Uh, you, here comes the tensions rising again here we go i can't tell if that was actually you making that noise or that was like a sound clip you produced of yourself <laughs> to play <laughs> yeah what a show Dale. <laughs> oh boy <laughs> What a show. I mean, the two of you. The two of you. Uh, we'll be back next week. In love. Loving each other. To round out Peter David's historic run. Yeah. And then after that, who knows? Because the, the set list is, is wide open. Oh, man. I heard we're doing criminal in the new year. We got to go. We'll see everybody next week. You think there's it's a Leo uh, and Navadi. You think like 
Ed Brubaker is just constantly trolling iTunes for a, for like a good quality comics podcast that re- has reviewed Criminal in the past, <laughs> and it's just like we are not on his radar because of it. Maybe he is. You never know. <laughs> so we have to talk about uh, Z Star Wars theories. Okay, ready? The Force Awakens. Hold so on. I've had some, I've seen it twice now. I've had time to formulate. Uh, this will be spoiler heavy. Okay. Yeah. So everybody back the F down. <laughs> I have two two prominent theories that you can corroborate. I don't really care. One, I think that the Knights of Ren are Kylo Ren's uh, turned apprentices of Luke Skywalker. So Han alludes pretty heavily that Kylo Ren killed the apprentices or really most accurately destroys the Jedi Order or the new Jedi Order. So I think him and his cronies are the students he's convinced to come with him to the dark side. They don't identify themselves as Sith because they're not trained as Sith. They're fallen Jedi. Yeah, fallen Jedi Knights. So they are the Knights of Ren. Second, and I only got this on the second viewing. The first time I saw the movie, I thought maybe Ray was Ray Skywalker, and he's she's reaching out for like Luke, please help me. Now I think maybe more accurately she was a ex Padawan that was hidden on Jakku to you know preserve herself. And if you watch the movie. When Luke turns around, his green lightsaber is not on his hip. It's just him weaponless on this kind of mountain. And she's basically saying, take your sword, get your S together, and come back and save the galaxy. So these are like super intense theories that I got on the second viewing. So I don't know. What do, what do you guys think? Super intense. You said it. Super emotional. I'm picturing you like after the movie, like you continue sitting or got up and then like, I need to sit. This is too intense. You know, he's like, he's sweating. He's sitting in that theater seat, like rolling his wrist, like his fingers, like he does when we're recording. Like macho macho man kind (laughs) of. Well, I do agree with you, Jonesy. I think those are pretty sound theories. I don't want Ray to be a Skywalker. I feel like that's too easy. Yeah, yeah. but I'll, and I and I think she's I think she was a young student that he hid away on Jakku, uh, and she's probably the lone survivor. That's my theory. Well, and if you think, I mean, like if you think of it this way, Yoda tells Luke in Return of the Jedi, "Pass on. You're the last of the Jedi. Pass on what you've learned." So maybe his feeling is okay. The old Jedi identify Padawans at. I don't know, six, seven years old. And that's how he's identifying. That explains Ray as a seven-year-old girl on Jakku being hidden. Now, Luke identified her early. And also, it kind of... So, but was Kyle, was Ben like a, yeah. a, a fellow student? I agree, at that age. Yeah, and because he's he turned kind of that implies age. that he knows who, of her. Right, so not maybe because he was so young, he doesn't remember her, and they've been apart so long. But he definitely senses that 
you know, yeah, I guess, union I guess in the they force. Would be, yeah, I wonder if they're like the same age. They have to like, be similar in age, yeah. I would think. But because I wonder when he would have started the killing right. at the Jedi Academy and when she would have been shipped off. It also kind of answers the theory of why does Luke um, leave? Because maybe he's like, because it's established by Han that at some point Ben goes crazy and, and destroys the new Jedi Order. So maybe Luke's at a point where he's like, all the Jedi Order does is cause chaos. It promotes the Sith. Maybe I'm doing this all wrong. Let me go find the first Jedi Temple. Maybe I abandon lightsabers and really find out what the Force is really about, which to me explains how he's so hesitant and not even like dialed in with Ray, where he's like, I didn't want anyone else to follow me on this journey because I don't think the force is to be understood the way we know it. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. like, like, he I throws mean, down his lightsaber and like, this is not the way. And poor Luke, you figure maybe the Jedi Order is up and running again another 15, 20 years and all this starts happening again. Like maybe he's mm-hmm. getting a, a Jedi foothold years after the end of Return of the Jedi. You know what I mean? You can't just go, you can't what, go, to go around and start time? sweeping up new Jedi Padawans immediately. Yeah. I got to yeah, file I paperwork. Mean, on your, <laughs> get, you know, form an LLC. You know, Yoda says pretty clearly, when I die, you're the last of the Jedi. Pass on what you learned. So he's like, okay, I defeated the greatest evil in the universe or galaxy or whatever. Let me start the new Jedi Academy. That's what I've been compelled to do. And then the daughter of his best friend and his sister, I'm sorry, the son, rather, of his uh, best friend and his sister goes rogue. And he's like, well, this is just the same thing that came before. Nothing good ever happens. Snoke was the one apparently to, to seduce been so i wonder i wonder a what how many years will have passed between the next movie and this one or will any years pass and then if they're gonna i guess they're gonna expand the flashbacks a lot more Mm -hmm. and show like snoke which i kind of feel like snoke looks really dumb i wish he wasn't all cgi but i hope that's maybe just like a trick or something but Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah, I feel, yeah, yeah, I agree about Snoke. Um, the only thing I'm curious about, which I picked up on that my second viewing, was when Han and Leia first reunite and talk about their son, Leia brings up, like, I know I shouldn't have sent him away. And he should have, tra- like, he, like, she implies that he never trained with Luke at all, and she sent him to train somewhere else. Uh, I felt like that was just kind of like a bad writing scene. Like it was just like a mother saying I should have never sent him away. Like I don't understand that either. Okay. Like I don't know if that's a double meaning or it was yeah. just kind of like I started like reading a mother regretting making a decision. Mm-hmm. So a couple questions about the Leia Ray relationship then. So yes. Leia, is, yes, we established Leia gets Le- to hug Ray instead of Chewbacca when Han Solo what? dies. Hang on. Yeah. It's established that Leia still Chewbacca has a strong alone. connection with the Force because when Han dies, we mm-hmm. cut immediately to Leia kind of being taken aback. 
And then, so is she a quasi Jedi? Is she no, a force sensitive? I think she's just force sensitive. I think she stayed even, I think the novelization mentions that she just kind of stayed with the, the Republic and then the rebellion. I don't think she did any training at all. Hmm. Did you read place. the novelization? I read the changes between the novelization and the movie version, which like breaks down like how scenes were expanded in the novelization, but were cut in the theatrical. Hmm. Seems thorough enough to me. Nope. I mean, I accept <laughs> that with that explanation. I mean, the general theory is that he started the school and Ben was seduced by Snoke and killed everybody. So who and do you then, think Snoke is? Idiot Ben. I think, I don't think Snoke, it doesn't sound like Snoke. There are no theories, like competent theories that he's related to anybody. And he's not Darth Snoke. He's not, he's Supreme Leader Snoke. Mm-hmm. So. And there, all, Wikipedia says that he's been around for like thousands of years or something. And so has Moss, the force sensitive being from the Cantina-esque bar. Mm-hmm. So, but wouldn't be wouldn't it be kind of like I don't know? It's the opposite of pandering that after these three now four Star Wars films, we get a race who's not Jedi or Sith that knows the Force and they're behind Star well, Wars. We don't, we, they, we don't know that he's not a Sith. I, yeah, that's huge speculation because you know Emperor Palpatine was also Darth Sidious. Mm-hmm. So names don't really mean a lot in Star Wars. Right, like Count uh, Dooku was a Sith, but he... Was also he, Darth Tyrannus. Darth Tyrannus, yeah. So he might have a Darth name. Now, um, there are some people that consider him to be Palpatine's master, who is now finally showing, revealing himself. But I don't know if... I think too many things, Jade, like, I think it was... And I use, I'm using quotey fingers that it was obvious that Ray was Hannah Leia's daughter. Like that was a very general conception before the movie came out, and we both know, we all know now it's wrong. And I think JJ has influenced a lot of misdirection. Well, there into was a the lot franchise. of misdirection. In, there was a lot of misdirection in the movie. Like Han kept making like weirdo faces to Ray when she was like so competent. Right, like, and uh, I, like in his head, it could have been like, "Well, you are my daughter," or like it, that would have right. made sense if he was thinking that, or "You are so and so's daughter." I know? also believe pretty strongly that anything that came in the prequels, you can probably throw out with these new movies. I don't know if it's necessarily throw out or just you Not, don't need to know it. Right. So, period, uh, ever. like, for instance, I don't think we're going to get any Qui-Gon Jinn force ghosts in the new trilogy. I think you can throw out, like, I don't think we're ever going to hear the word midichlorian again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's good because that's very reminiscent for the older generation. And I also think everything you think you know be prepared not to know when the second movie comes out. Like, here's one thing. Like, he builds up Finn to be Force-sensitive throughout the whole film. Like, he's going to be the the Awakening Jedi. And then you find out quite clearly that he's not. 
and I don't think it's crazy to picture Finn in Jedi robes in the third movie. I feel like he'll be a Leia. Like, he won't be a Jedi. I feel like he'll just be uh, or a Han Solo. Or Poe is more likely the Han Solo character. And Finn is just kind of... I don't see him being a Jedi character. I feel like they're they're fine with Ray, or maybe there they'll be more. Maybe they'll be like maybe just survivor. Ray's like charismatic love interest, maybe. which I which I love by the way, and I love that Ray is the possibly the chosen one if you think about it, because Anakin was the chosen one, but he really wasn't. Luke Skywalker should have been the chosen one but he's really not but i think ray could be the chosen one of the jedi prophecy i really think that when we're done with these three movies we're going to see that ray was the one that really brought balance to the force because maybe it isn't about sith or jedi maybe it's this third path that no one's ever walked or talked about i don't know Hmm. right because jedi all jedi and sith know how to do is eradicate each other so how is that balance? I don't know, Genzi. Right, it's like a yes. Right, let's let me get phil- let me get philosophical order. Right it's now. like a Go self-fulfilling process. Prophecy. Once you start like establishing order in the Jedi, you need you you start establishing you know foes to like just come in conflict with them. You know, just let it be. That's what I say. <laughs> Tell you when Joan, I tell you what I'm jealous of. Right before we started recording, Jonesy took about 15 minutes to go use the water closet. I'm jealous I didn't do that at the same time. <laughs> <laughs>